Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month, taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees, we're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. And welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions offseason preview podcast, where we're getting to know some of the Lions GM and coaching candidates with some special guests. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the managing editor over at Pride of Detroit and the co-host of First Bite. With me, as always, is Ryan Matthews at Ryan underscore POD. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to this podcast, uh, especially after the, you know, the, the nugget that... Um, Aaron Wilson dropped last week. I think that this is going to be a really, a really good talk. Yeah. If you missed that interview, we were talking about Rick Smith as one of the Lions GM candidates, but Aaron Wilson let us know that one of the leading candidates he thinks for the Lions job is Thomas Dimitrov, which is who we will be talking about today and with us to help us break down everything he knows about Dimitrov and, and maybe even a little bit more. We've got Daryl Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, he's been a, a Falcons beat writer for a very long time. He's the ho- the co-host, or the host, I should say, of the Bowtie Chronicles podcast. He even covered the Packers way back when, and we're not going to hold that against him. But uh, thank you for joining us on this podcast. Appreciate you making some time for us. Yeah, Jeremy and Ryan, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, no problem, no problem at all. Um, let's let's jump right into this. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know... I mean, let's just start with kind of the end here. Um, Dimitrov is just a couple months away from getting fired. Um, why do you think he was kind of included in the firing process there when they decided to let go Dan Quinn as well? Well, the owner's very bottom line, and they weren't winning was the uh, reasoning that uh, Arthur Blank gave. It's like, hey, we weren't winning. And, uh, you know, so that led to a change of directions. And one of the things they weren't winning uh, why they weren't winning was their failed attempts to create a pass rush on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, it was just a problem going all the way back to, um, you know, losing John Abraham. Uh, uh, you know, they drafted guys, they signed guys. I mean, uh, they got guys a free agency. It just never materialized that on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, they needed to put a defense with Matt Ryan and over the 12 years, they weren't able to put a, a championship level defense together. And that, that was the reason why uh, Thomas Dimitrov was fired. Well, well yeah, yeah go ahead, Jeremy. I, let me, let me get in a quick follow up here because I mean, that sounds like a very familiar story from the lion's point of view. You know, they have uh, you know, a guy that some people think could potentially be a hall of fame quarterback and a guy like Matthew Stafford couldn't build a defense around him for the past 12 years as well. Um, but it makes, was it a lack of trying or just, trying and, and failing with, with Dimitrov? Because it sounds like at least maybe they were making efforts and mm-hmm. it just wasn't working out, or was it just kind of, it was something that was kind of put on the back burner uh, for the Falcons? Oh, no, they were swinging away at it. They were swinging <laughs> away, uh, Jeremy, no doubt about it. Um, give him credit, though. He came into a really tough situation after the federal dogfighting trial. The Falcons are 4-12 and the coach leaves in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he's he comes in and right away, bam, he hits a home run uh, with Matt Ryan and gets Sam Baker in the first round and signs Michael Turner in free agency. So all of a sudden you got offense. 
You got a 1,600 yard back, a rookie throwing the Roddy White off of that, and you're 11 and 5 and in the playoffs with the old defense. So, um, so you know they go to the playoffs in first, uh, the first three, well, first three of three of the first four years, and then six of the first five. So you know he got the offense right, but along the way that defense started deteriorating. And um, in the 2012 championship game against uh, Kaepernick and them, they're up 17 to nothing, and and they blow the lead and don't go to the Super Bowl. You know, two years later, the offensive line rebuild uh, didn't work out, uh, and so they're you know Coach Smith gets fired. So uh, then comes Dan Quinn. But I will. We got a lot of we can we can stop right there for now. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That, that's that's a good place to to kind of move move uh, <clears throat> into a different discussion. I think Daryl, uh, for Lions fans specifically, they kind of reached their wits end with Bob Quinn. So, what was the kind of the breaking point um, with fans? Do you think with Thomas Dimitrov? Because you said you know you know Arthur Blank was a bottom line guy. They weren't winning. Um, did you get that sense that fans were growing tired of his inability to build that? defensive pass rush and, and put a defense opposite of that really high, high potent offense. Yeah. The, um, we can trace it back to um, the drafting of Vic Beasley uh, six overall or eighth, I think eighth overall. And uh, then uh, two years later, Tack McKinley, 26. Vic didn't do much. The first year he was playing with a messed up shoulder. Second year he goes lights out 15 and five. They go to the Super Bowl. Uh, they can't sustain that. They, they fired Brian Cox, who kind of got that out of him. Uh, Dwight Freeney retires. Vic goes off in the Never Never Land, and we haven't seen him since. Okay, uh, two years later, they draft McKinley. Those are supposed to be their. That's their Dwight Freeney, um, Robert Mathis. You know, for lack of a better word, uh, sure. you know, comparison. That's the comparison they use because he tried to build the um, uh, you know the Colts. Here he tried. He had Peyton Manning. He had Matt Ryan's his Peyton Manning. Never really had the edge James, but Devontae Freeman was at some point. Uh, he had the wideouts. He had the wideouts. He had Roddy and Julio at, together at one point. Uh, you know now Roddy, uh, Julio, and Ridley. So, and the line you know was up or down, but he had the offense, the defense, the Freeman because they wanted they were going to score a lot of points, be ahead, then they could. Unleash the pass rush, you know, Freeney and Mathis, uh, McKinley and uh, Beasley. So, um, and they even brought Freeney in the mentor for a while. So for one year. So um, Mm -hmm. that that never materialized. The defense was smallish. They couldn't cover uh, smallish, fast defense. And uh, they never got the pass rush. And that's how, you know, we are here today. Yeah, it's interesting. We actually had a Falcons fan watching us live a, a couple days ago, and he actually said like he wasn't all that much in favor of firing Dimitrov. Like he just wanted Dan Quinn gone. Was that kind of a, a popular attitude in in Atlanta, or, or were most people ready to move on from both? Most were most were ready to move on from both. I thought uh, um, Coach Smith should have stayed, and a new GM can't should have come in. Because I didn't, uh, you know, if you look at all of his draft picks, you can look at the offensive line and defensive line. He messed up both. Mm. Um, the 13 and 14 year re, uh, rebuild, uh, 14, yeah, the rebuild of the line from they they cut Todd McClure, drafted Peter Collins and Lamar Holmes, 
And uh, the line just, you know, Matt Bryant was running for his life all of a sudden. Michael Turner <laughs> couldn't run anymore. And, uh, you know, that got Coach Smith fired. So uh, this time around, I was like, who's picking a lineman? Because y'all can't do the same thing. <laughs> and sure enough, they, they picked these linemen that uh, they overdraft Chris Lindstrom at 13. He's a good player. He's going to be a 10-year pro, but he ain't Quentin Nelson. Okay. Um, Kayla McGurry, they trade in. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. <laughs> Excuse me. They trade in, trade back into the first round for Kayla McGarry. Uh, and there were like three three tackles right ahead of, ahead of him. So uh, you know, be wary of him drafting uh offensive and defensive linemen when he gets the Detroit job. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's not jump the gun here. (laughs) We're just giving it to him tonight. (laughs) So maybe maybe that would be the blessing in disguise is that the Lions seem like they have their offensive line pretty set uh, at at this point. Yeah, yeah. So – uh, you know, Daryl, was it was it a problem with his drafting philosophy? Like, did did he just kind of seek out these really particular linemen that he didn't end up hitting on because of their traits, or um, was it was it you know swings and misses in free agency, or or what was what led to his inability to to build up in the trenches? Yeah, um, uh, I don't know, but it was consistent. I mean, Peter Collins. I mean, you figure, hey, Joe Thomas, Wisconsin. He's a he's the first bus out of Wisconsin in ten years. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, hey, uh, that was okay. So, um, the tackle though, Lamar Holmes, you dig into uh, one double A Southern Miss and don't pick the uh, the kid from a uh, Massey kid from uh, who's still playing from Florida State. You get to see the SEC and the ACC every weekend down here. I'm thinking the guy from Florida State's better than the Southern Miss guy. But not to them. They picked the Southern Miss guy who's out of the league in three years. So, um, you know, and, and that kept happening. That kept happening. Uh, free agency, last couple of years, they tried to sign Jamin Brown, who's bounced out of the league, a former third-round pick, been with five teams, couldn't cut it in Philly this year. Uh, and and I heard that's why Scott Pioli left because <laughs> they signed they signed Jamin Brown and James Carpenter these four year contracts. He knew what was a good. He knew what was, he, saw, <laughs> he saw the future. Yeah, uh, he saw that ship sinking, huh? <laughs> yeah, and got out. And we're we're gonna get a little bit more into Pioli in a minute because he's also one of the Lions candidates. Um, I, I, let's talk a little bit about Dimitrov as a person, because I do think, you know, the Lions keep talking about building a culture here. And it sounds like they want, you know, good character people in the organization from top to bottom, people who can get along with each other in terms of a working relationship. Um, was there ever anything rocky with Thomas Dimitrov or was he just kind of I mean, he was there 12 years. So you have to imagine, uh, you know, there was a bit of harmony within that front office. Is that basically how you would describe his 12 years there? Yeah, he was very uh, particular, um, and I think that came from the top. And you got to remember where they were coming from out of the federal dogfighting case. That character was going to be a, a, a major problem, or or major emphasis is what I, not a problem, but an emphasis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jeremy and Ryan. So he did a great job of vetting that, and you know they would take medical gambles, but not character gambles. They took one or two here along the way. Uh, Prince Shimbo uh, out of Notre Dame, and uh, he didn't last long. Rashad Hageman out of Minnesota, uh, you know, and he didn't last long. But they took a couple that didn't work. But for the most part, you know, character, 
they were big on drafting captains and uh, leaders from their college teams. Coach Smith really liked that, and that seemed to work out fine for him. But uh, as a person, you know, he did a lot of work in the community. He's a cyclist. He likes to ride. Uh, you know, he's bike. He likes to ride his bike and uh, and so forth. So there wasn't any problem like that. It was just, you know, um, uh, at the end, you know, they weren't winning and their inability to, to you know, win in the trenches on the offensive side and get to the pass rusher on the defensive side. Those, uh, you know, those were the big problems. And one last thing in terms of a working relationship, Daryl, uh, can you comment at all about the kind of relationship that he had with both Mike Smith and Dan Quinn? Did, did he kind of, was he almost like attached to the hip? Did he really like draft for those coaches specifically or seek out, you know, players specifically for, for his scheme or was Dimitrov kind of a, you know, fire from the hip guy. Like I'm going to take my guys that I think can play and you're going to figure out a way to, to implement them. Yeah. They had two different structures here. The first one was traditional where uh, Dimitrov had control of all of the scouting uh, and pro personnel folks. Okay. And they, they did a good job to the end uh, where, you know, Mike Nolan would, would tell him, you know, Hey, you, you know, just get the linebackers. And then, you know, they would get linebackers and he didn't like none of them. So <laughs> fire because uh, Arthur felt the coaching staff didn't work closely enough with the scouting uh, department. You know, they would draft that's players. Big. Yeah, that was big. So that's that got um, Coach Smith fired. Uh, they drafted like four linebackers one year, and, and Nolan didn't like any of them. So <laughs> they were all got cut. And so, uh, so, so that that was uh, one of the things at the end. But Dimitrov. Uh, had to, uh, you know, they hired Dan Quinn, then they had to put him and Dimitrov together, and they had to figure out if they could work together as co-builders. So we went to this team co-builder thing where Dimitrov had uh, control of the 90-man roster, but Quinn could could cut whoever he wants because he had the control of the 53-man roster. So why you give that to a first-time coach? Who knows? They did it. They did it because he was a hot candidate and three other teams wanted him, so they had to give it to him. But, uh, you know, and that, that led to some of the drafting problems they had. Jalen Collins in the second round, uh, Marlon Davidson this year, Tack McKinley, you know, who had character and medical concerns, uh, but the coaches wanted him against the uh, the wishes of the scouting department. So they got him. So they both got each other fired <laughs> down the stretch here. <laughs> Uh, as team co-builders, so uh, that's uh, it was a different situation like that. And uh, uh, but I, I think if he gets another shot, he's gonna probably want to be in control. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, that it'll be interesting to see what the Lions' reaction to something like that would be. Obviously, they want everyone to kind of be in harmony there. Um, but but yeah, it sounds like you know he's he's kind of worked in a lot of different um, power structures, I guess. And so maybe that sort of diversity might help and know what works best and what doesn't work. Um, one, another thing I want to ask you about is, is free agency, because I feel like it's, it's pretty easy for Lions fans to just look at the Falcons history and see who they drafted. It's a little harder to research um, their free agency moves. Um, were there any notable like big hits that, that Dimitrov had maybe some big significant misses that he had, or, I mean, what would be like your overall grade for how he did uh, on the pro personnel side of things? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, um, I haven't looked at that as intensely in a while, but uh, the big miss was Ray Edwards. 
I remember where uh, old Minnesota guy, he was uh, out in the box. They're going to get him. He's going to play opposite Abraham. And, you know, they got their, they got their Freeney and, and Massey. Uh, um, that didn't work out. He got cut, cost him about $20 million. Uh, that was uh, that was the worst one. After that, they were kind of gun shy. Uh, you know, the they went to the moderate level free agent Brooks Reed out of Texas. Uh, guys like that, um, you know, not not spending a lot of money uh, in free agency. Jamin Brown, James Carpenter, guys like that. Uh, Todd Gurley this year in free agency didn't cost him a lot, but you know. Guess what? He's broken down halfway through the season while the Rams cut him in the first place. So, uh, you know, it's been uh, been. I would give him a C minus, C plus in free agency. No home runs. Um, no, no, yeah, no home runs in free agencies. A lot of lot of singles. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, you got anything else, Ryan? Before we go to head to break. Well, I guess maybe the, the one last thing to, to piggyback off your question, Jeremy, is the, the relationship that he had with Arthur Blank. Did did Arthur Blank maybe, was he a big influence? And you know what, you took a big swing and, and you missed on a, on a high-priced free agent like Ray Edwards? Or um, did Arthur Blank kind of have a more hands-off and, and let Dimitrov kind of run the run the show? Well, you hear, you hear stories... Um... Uh, about the coach having to meet with the owner every Monday morning. I know Dan Reeves hated that. Uh, <laughs> I asked Dan Quinn about it. He's like, "Oh, sure, I don't mind." And then you know, Dimitrov, you know, they, they, you know, it's he's a hands-on owner. It's a uh, no way around it. Uh, but he gives them everything they need. They've been able to, you know, he might make made him fire some people he didn't want to. I know Marquand Manuel was one of the guys he got into coaching. I know he didn't want to fire him. Uh, Marquand will say that um, his contract wasn't renewed, but no, their relationship I think was it it uh, sustained itself for twelve years, so it had to be pretty good for that over that period of time. Uh, some teams have had seven GMs, a lot of teams have had four, and a lot of teams have had three. So he had a very good relationship with the owner here. That's good to know as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to maybe ask some questions from our chat, our live chat, see if Daryl can answer some of their questions. And then we're going to also get into a little bit of Scott Pioli, another Lions candidate who just had a, a nice little reign there in Atlanta. And maybe talk a little about the Falcons GM search because they might be a competitor for some of your favorite candidates. So we'll get into all that right back, right in a minute when we come back with First Bite. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back with First Bite, talking about Lions general manager candidate Thomas Dimitrov, who is scheduled to interview with the Lions this week, uh, reportedly. Uh, We're here with uh, Daryl Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Falcons beat writer, giving us all the information we need. Um, Let's actually shift our conversation here to Scott Pioli, who was the assistant general manager of the Falcons from 2014 to 2019. Uh, You kind of mentioned the story about him leaving there. Um, Let's first tackle like what exactly he did there. And and I don't know if, you know, the Falcons are a transparent organization, so you know exactly what he was doing over there. But, you know, uh, you know, normal fans probably have no idea what an assistant general manager does. So uh, to your understanding, what was Pioli's role there in Atlanta during his six years there? Yeah, uh, you know, his role was to help, uh, at least we articulated it, uh, to help with the drafting of the linemen. He was a former uh, college lineman himself. He had done a pretty good job in Kansas City. The record wasn't that good. But all of a sudden, Andy Reid took a lot of his players and started going to playoffs with him. So, uh, you know, he he uh, he, he did uh, uh, forget Houston. The big kid from Georgia was one of his big draft picks. Uh uh, for the for the Chiefs, so he came here and he was supposed to help them in the areas where you know they have been deficient in the drafting part of it. Uh, and uh, Scott and and Thomas were best friends. And uh, in that book, The Patriot Way, they um, you know talk about how Scott was visiting his uh, dad who was really sick in Cleveland when he was with the Browns, and uh, Thomas was down here scouting. A lot of the Southeast scouts live out of Atlanta because you can get to all the schools pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, best friends. Um, and Scott was out of the game after getting fired in Kansas city. So, you know, he was trying to help have Thomas's back in his new role, uh, as he shifted from, um, you know, traditional GM to co-building GM. And, uh, you know, uh, they worked hand in hand, uh, mostly with the draft. <clears throat> So I, I know you mentioned, Daryl, why, uh, you know, Scott ultimately decided to step down uh, due to drafting issues. Free agents. I think that the, the free agent signing of uh, Jamin Brown and James Carpenter two years ago was his time to time for him to split, he said. That was when. OK. All right. So I just wanted to make oh, that clear. So. So, you know, the, the lures that he, that was the last straw. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Did, did you notice any, any sort of significant differences when, when he was there um, in, in Atlanta or was it more like those two came in together? They were already kind of on the same wavelength and it was just kind of like another voice in the room to kind of amplify Dimitrov. Yeah. He was kind of a stealth operator. Cause we, you know, we, they don't give us access to the assistant general manager. We barely got the general manager. Uh, right. But the Falcons were uh, very, um, very uh, keen in stockpiling talent. And I mean, you know, at one point we had five former GMs on the, in the building, uh, Billy Devaney, uh, Rustin Webster, who's is still there. Uh, Scott Thomas, Rich McKay, you know, so, 
they they are from the, the collaborative school. You know, we're going to all sit down and talk about it. And, uh, you know, we're going to end up with, you know, uh, put a bunch of smart people together. We're going to end up with some good, good results. And he was part of that kind of think tank approach. Uh, but as far as specifically where I can point to him, I can point to a lot of things he did uh, off the field and helping with the female coaches more than I could on what uh, he's done inside of the the building with the football team. He's worked with Rise and uh, some of the other progressive organizations around the league that he uh, uh, has been championing a lot of their work. Can you can you talk more on that? That's interesting. I, I don't know if uh, a lot of people outside of Atlanta know about that work. Um, can you talk about it just a little bit? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, you know, like he's at the Fritz Pollard Alliance. Uh, he's helped uh, minority executives get jobs around the league. Uh, he's at the uh, Rise Foundation that the, the um, Dolphins owner started uh, out of Miami. And I saw him at that uh, function in Minnesota at the Super Bowl. So, you know, he kind of quietly goes around doing his social action work, doesn't like to bring a lot of attention to himself. Um, I would Google his graduation speech. He got honored from his um, uh, so, um, Southern Con, I think it's Southern Southern Connecticut State University. Um, but uh, he, uh, in his speech, he talks a lot about his background, his upbringing, his humble upbringing, uh, and all the benefits of the things that he's had to, uh, you know, working with the Patriots and and in the league. So, real, um, that was probably the most insight to Scott I I got was. Uh, uh, you know, um, doing that graduation speech that he gave. Interesting. That's in, in, yeah, very interesting. So the the one last question I guess I have about uh, about Scott Pioli is he, you know, eventually steps down. He, he steps away from this. Do you think he also kind of steps away because he's he's ready to not be a part of a think tank and kind of lead another think tank and and you know step up for another general manager position? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, he did some things in Kansas City, right? You know, uh, he did some things that, you know, I was president of the Pro Football Writers at the time, so I would get all the complaints on <laughs> access and uh, all this other crazy stuff he was doing out there. But, you know, we made peace at some point. Uh, but uh, uh, Patriot way, Patriot way right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. He, he, but I think he's got some thoughts now on how he would do it. Mm. Uh, I try to, you know, do the Patriot way thing. So, uh, you know, he had the, uh, he had part of, you know, the quarterback thing didn't work out. Matt Castle didn't work out. So, I mean, you know, they ended up having to get Alex Smith. So, uh, you know, if you get the quarterback right, he usually around for a while. Yeah. Uh, that, that happened here. Uh, I was going to say, look at, look at Thomas Dimitrov. <laughs> yeah. If you get the quarterback right, he's usually in a good place, but, but yeah, you know, he's grown. Uh, I would think he would say that he's grown as a person. He's on a mission. Uh, he definitely would do some things differently than he did in Kansas City. Maybe blend the Kansas City, Atlanta, New England years and, you know, maybe um, return Detroit to powerhouse status in the NFC North. That that sounds pretty good. I mean, I think the the, the one thing I think that obviously would concern, you know, any any studious fan is is that time in Kansas City you know he took over a 2 and 14 team and 4 years later they were still 2 and 14 team and you're talking about a Kansas City team that at the time had a history much like the Lions not a, not a lot of great things happening to it and then as soon as he steps out of the door Andy Reid comes in and turns everything around um so obviously that's a big concern with with him but um like you said it, it's been a it's been a very very long time since then he's had a lot of good um 
a lot of good experience either being the assistant or just kind of floating around, um, you know, wherever he's been. But but let's turn our attention here to the Falcons GM search, because I do think it's something that that Lions fans should keep in tune with. Um, we, we talked with uh, Aaron Wilson uh, last week and he said Rick Smith is the guy in Atlanta, the, the guy that the Lions might have to pry him away from. Um, is that what you're hearing, too? Um, yeah, he's in all our stuff, and I love Aaron. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we 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 are hearing that. We're hearing that Rick's the the guy. He's on the competition committee with uh with uh Rick Rich McKay for a long period of time. Their their um relationship goes back to the Matt Schaub trade. Falcons got Michael Vick. They if they knew that Michael Vick was getting ready to go in the um the federal um being investigated by the federal the federal government they might not have made that trade <laughs> so um they go back that far we also are hearing uh the ajc reported that uh terry fontner from the saints uh, is on their list brad holmes from the rams now the the catch is that hey both of those guys the teams might not let them interview right so that automatically make rick rick um a candidate they also interviewed anthony robinson their director of scouting who's a guy who has uh, come all the way up from being the Ravens intern to director of college scouting. So, um, you know, uh, Reggie McKenzie, you got to look for him as a candidate out of uh, Miami. He did a great job with the Raiders and their salary cap hell. Uh, but there's no uh, nexus between uh, McKay and McKenzie. Um, Reggie's a Ron Wolf guy. So he definitely will would like to come here, but, uh, we know how these searches go, you know, usually somebody they know, um, you know, it's not supposed to be that way now where they're trying to get more minority candidates. You want to interview as many people as you can, throw your net as far and wide as you can and pick the best person, whether you know it's your buddy or not. Uh, so we, we're keeping our eye on that. And, um, you know, the Falcons have a good track record, at least complying with the Rooney rule. And I'm sure they will again. Uh, you know, Rick, you know, uh, while he might be their leading candidate, uh, there's a guy out there, Jerry Reese, with two Super Bowl rings who would seem to be a better candidate to me than him. Uh, uh, Rick never drafted a quarterback in Houston. He did draft uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt. That's pretty good. Uh, but uh, never got past the division around the playoffs there. So uh, he's not, the, you know, the – it might be richest guy, but it doesn't really, you know, really blow your socks off. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that that's kind of like the position I think the Lions are in uh, when it comes to their GM search, Daryl, is that they went with a guy who didn't have general manager experience in Bob Quinn, and they got burned by it, to be mm-hmm. quite frank. So do you get the sense that the Falcons are trying to get somebody who already has experience and is going to hit the ground running? Um, you did mention that they, you know, interviewed from within – um, where do you think the Falcons are probably leaning? Yeah, I think you got to go. Uh, well, you know, when you look at the whole landscape, you know, Jacksonville is going to be the dream job. I'm sorry to disappoint the Detroit folks. <laughs> uh, got ten picks. They got eighty million dollars in salary cap money. They got they maybe have Trevor Lawrence. So I'm the GM. I'm going there, right? Right. Uh, so, uh, so um, you know, it's going to be competitive. Uh, but um, the Falcons, because they got a veteran roster that they don't want to break up. So, I mean, like, 
I'm like, you know, if I'm a new coach, I'm like, hey, it's time to move on. But, you know, it's uh, 35. Uh, you can't – Julio's in and out, you know. So y'all going to make me play with these old dudes. <laughs> and um, I got to go find – you know, I got to go flip this thing quickly. They think they could flip it quickly in the league now because parity is such that, uh, you know, we can make a couple moves, we're back in the hunt. And I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm going to throw a couple of questions from our live chat, and then we'll we'll get you out of here. Um, first one comes from Joshua Mercer. He asks, hypothetically, and this might be a tough one for you to answer, but we'll, we'll throw it at you anyways here. Uh, if the Lions were to draft a quarterback in the draft, who do you think Dimitrov would focus on? I don't, again, that's, that, I, that's a very tough hypothetical for you, but if you had, I mean, he drafted Matt Ryan. Who do you think maybe he likes out of this upcoming draft class? He's been, uh, he's, we've been, we all been watching Trevor Lawrence since like the eighth grade. <laughs> he was sure. As the eighth grader from Cartersville, Georgia. So he's been, and, and Justin, um, you know, he's in, from my neighborhood. We've been watching him too. Those are the two guys that they've been, he's been watching, I know, for the last 10 years. Um, Justin, uh, last year they started studying mobile quarterbacks mm. for the future or, you know, now for maybe his Detroit future. Sure. Uh, so both of those guys are on his radar screen. I want to lock, look at some of his BYU game tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. He's supposed to be another candidate. Uh, but I know he knows the two quarterbacks, um, the top two quarterbacks intimately. Uh, I um, Where are y'all at in the draft? I know Falcons right. have moved in front of you at five. Yeah, right now they're at 11, but the Lions have two tough games. So you have to imagine they're probably going to drop into the top 10, maybe like six or seven, I would guess. Okay, so yeah, they can go up and get their quarterback if they, you know, right. They want to. The Falcons in two thousand one, they were five, and they went up to one to get Vic. Okay, their their stadium's half empty. They're not like the Detroit fans that are dedicating come rain, snow, or sleet. The Falcon fans are kind of fickle, so we <laughs> see them at five. They got to go up and get one of the Georgia kids. And, you know, train them under Matt Ryan. If they don't do that, there's going to be a riot in Atlanta. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, th- that's actually a good follow-up question here is how how aggressive was Dimitrov in the draft? Was he making a lot of trades on, on draft day? Or was he kind of a more like, let me just sit and see who comes to me kind of guy? He makes a trade every year. Um, mm. <laughs> and, uh, you can Google Trader Thomas. I got all his trades in there. Oh. He doesn't do season trades, but draft trades every year. Of course, his big one is going up from twenty-seven to six to get Julio. Or right. Just, oh, right. <laughs> they gave Cleveland everything. Like, yeah. Oh, him. And, and uh, yeah, so no, he's gonna move up and down the board. He's a need-based drafter, and once mm. he locks in on his guy, he's gonna get him. And uh, he's gonna give up draft capital to do it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that'll be fun for y'all. That's exciting every year. Every year, we kind of went in like. You know, knowing that, hey, they were going somewhere. They went up to get Sam Baker. They went up to get Julio. They went up to get Tack, Desmond Trufant. You know, if that was their guy and they thought they were going to lose him, you know, so he's connected around the league with the intel. Um, you know, but if he's got his guy and he's locked in on him, he's going to go get him. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm typically against trades up just in general of value, but at the same time, it would make draft day a lot more exciting and it would definitely be a big change of pace because I think Bob Quinn was, you know, he he seemed to always only trade with the Patriots. And so that left a, a pretty boring draft weekend for us. And Jeremy, don't pretend that you weren't one of those people 
thumping the table for Sammy Watkins back in the uh, day. Uh, you're you're going to have to pull tape on that for, for me to admit <laughs> to it. <laughs> All right, Daryl. Uh, awesome information. Before we let you go, um, I want to give you an opportunity to plug stuff. Where can people find you? If there's anything maybe that you've written that you think Lions fans might be interested in uh, to, to get to know Dimitrov or anything about him, uh, let's hear it. Yeah, Google that Trader Thomas. That'll give you the uh, trade record. I kept it, and we would put it out every year leading up to the draft. Uh, you know that that'd be a good primer on uh, Thomas. Um, you know, and and uh, uh, his time here in Atlanta. You definitely want to read that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at dorlandoajc, and our podcast, The Bowtie Chronicles, comes out every Wednesday morning. Uh, usually looking ahead at the. Um, at the other upcoming opponent, and when we do one on Monday after the games. Uh, but this week we got a sit-down uh, with, uh, well, virtual sit-down with uh, Falcons general manager Rich McKay discussing, uh, you know, everything from A to Z and the coaching and uh, uh, the coaching and the general manager search. So, yeah, thanks for having me on, on your podcast, and good luck up there in Detroit. I uh, know you all have been waiting for a long time since 1957. <laughs> Lane and the guys were up there doing it real big so good luck thank you appreciate that and thank you for all your information all your time if if you know dimitrov or pioli uh, end up getting the job we might bring it back on to, to to dig a little deeper does that sound good that's awesome that's awesome that'd be great guys thanks for having me all yeah, right thanks thank, for you. Having thank you so much daryl and, right. and thank you all for for listening i appreciate you listening to first bite podcast uh, and as always it's chaos be kind visible we're the wireless company with nothing to hide seriously hidden fees we don't have them annual contracts not our thing great wireless on just one line now that's more like it get unlimited 5g data powered by verizon for just 25 dollars a month taxes and fees included that's right 25 a month every month sorry hidden fees we're just not that into you sometimes the choice is just visible switch today at visible.com rate with service on the visible plan for additional terms and network management practices see visible.com